0: Welcome to Canvas, a show all about iPad productivity. My name is Fraser Spears, and tonight I'm joined by a special guest, David Chartier. David, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks a lot for having me. This is really great. I've been a huge fan of the show ever since you launched it, so this is really cool.
0: Thank you. Well, when Federico and I were both at WWDC last week, we we met a lot of fans, so uh, it was very... I was really happy just to notice or to hear from people how kind of influential the show had been on a lot of their uh, their thinking and and people's workflow and things like that so it's it's great to have uh, you're our first ever guest host so you're you're very welcome um and tell tell folks a little bit about what, who you are and what you do david so
1: i i call myself a a content strategist and a writer and a tech distiller and i like that last one the most because it's fun and it also relates to booze uh but <laughs> It's, um, I, I'm a freelance writer for a couple places. I have a column in, in MacLife Magazine, a monthly column. Um, and I also just started a, a small company to help uh, app developers with their, just their content, talking about their apps, um, basically trying to talk to people in a more genuine way um, and actually show people what's, what's so great about the stuff that they build. So that kind of gets me through the day.
0: Great, great. Well, good to have you here. And of course, you've... You've also had, um, you've been working on the sort of finer points of iOS and and things like that as well?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I also run a website called The Finer Things in Tech, and I've kind of been a a huge fan of mobile for a long time as well. So I'm not quite as deep into it as as Federico or you, but I still have a Mac. Um, (laughs) But I do, uh, I have had almost every iPad, and I've, I love digging into those details and finding all the new ways to, to get stuff done on it because it. In some ways, it it really kind of, you really need to sort of change your muscle memory. You know, it's one of the reasons why I love this show is because you're helping to solve all those problems of, you know, we used to do things a certain way with, you know, a Mac or a a Windows PC, and it kind of needs some new thinking. And that's what I love exploring.
0: Yeah, that's very much the the kind of philosophy of the show is to take people through those uh, the new ways of doing the things that you previously did. So in some ways, we're kind of a bridge to the past, but also a bridge to the future in the sense that we we take the kind of tasks that you still have to do every day. You've still got to answer your email. You've still got to you know deal files between people and things like that. But there are there are now new ways to do those tasks. Like the tasks haven't changed that much, I don't think. But what I feel people need to know is they need to know how to bring iOS to those tasks which I think is something that some people have really struggled with because they think, well, if it doesn't happen the exact same way as I'm used to, then I can't possibly do it. But in fact, we're showing more and more that you just can. It just happens to look a little bit different. And it's about giving people that confidence, really.
1: And it struck me a little while ago because I've I've always been that person who I'll, I'll go hang out because um, I kind of work for myself. I freelance. So I'll, I'll go to coffee shops and, and hang out for a while. And I'll be that person who sometimes a stranger turns to and they're having some kind of trouble with their computer and and I just compulsively can help, you know, if, you know, it's basically just free tech support, but I love doing it if I can solve a problem. And um, I noticed a lot that people would, it's sort of a key thing in iOS that some people complain about, but I noticed that people sort of naturally did it where if they needed to open a file, they more often than not, they weren't digging into like the Windows uh, Explorer or the Finder to go find a file. They would open an app and go to File, and they would open it from their most recent documents. That's the way that they would access that stuff, and that's kind of how it works on iOS. But it, it looks different, and there's there's a few different details, but people are already kind of thinking that way. Um, and that's sort of how they adapted it for iOS, but it's one of those muscle memory things that's just so ingrained. I mean, it's, it's practically like breathing. You barely think about it, but when you're really forced to do it, then things get different. Um, and that's the stuff that, you know, I like helping about that. I love seeing shows like this and and what Federico does with the website. It's so, it's so useful.
0: Yep. Taking people into the future. That's the job. (laughs) So let me just give give a quick update, David. We've been, I've been doing a, a fundraising project online uh, for an organisation called the Barefoot College and listeners who have heard the last show have heard me mention it and that was just when the project was getting started. So I wanted to give a quick update on where we are with this. We're currently uh, 44% funded online. We're trying to raise £10,000 to buy a whole set of iPads. Basically the, the iPads that are in use in my school and have been in use in my school for the past few years. Uh, we owe a little bit of, Well, that amount of money left on the lease uh, so in order to not have to send them back to a leasing company, we'd like to keep them, but then send them out to the Barefoot College in India, which is an organization that trains women from rural parts of India to become solar engineers. And they, they teach them how to do things like solar build solar cookers, solar desalination units, water heaters, and even data projectors with Apple TVs on them for, for use in uh, local night schools. In rural areas so they leave that box out during the day and then the the uh, projector battery charges up with solar power and then they can use it in the evening to do uh, to do night school once the children are in bed so uh, that's what we're trying to do um we've got about 45 days left to raise the rest of the money uh we've since we started we've also had a couple of offline donations which don't show up on the website but overall the project is more than halfway there already in the first two weeks so uh, it's going really well and uh, if anybody out there would like to contribute to that project, uh, we'll have a link in the show notes for that. But if you go to crowdfunder.org.uk forward slash barefootipads, that's where you can donate to the project. And we'd really appreciate any, uh, any and all help, even if that's just tweeting about it rather than donating. Uh, the more people who can find out about it, the more chance of uh, a number of donations it gets us over that line. So that's where we're at with that project.
1: First of all, that project sounds amazing in all sorts of ways, uh, and I kind of feel bad for missing it until now. I don't know how I haven't seen this. Um, but as far as that as a crowdfunding platform, you have 45 days left. Is this sort of like a Kickstarter GoFundMe
0: thing? Like It's kind of, it's kind of like that, except in this case, uh, however much money we raise by the deadline is how much money we'll get for the project. So even if we get, say, 80% or 85%, um, we'll still get all that money. Uh, and then what we can we also think we can do is that uh, the Barefoot College themselves have got a number of pledged donors who haven't donated yet. And they're hoping to be able to call those in as well to get the project over the line. So I think all in all, we're in really good shape to make the project happen. It's just a matter of you know how well we can do for them uh, as much as whether or not the project will happen. So the donations will happen anyway, regardless, but uh, we'd, ideally we'd like to make that. And then we could use those other donations that Barefoot have to help us with logistical costs and uh, obviously transport from here to India and so on.
1: So that's that's interesting, actually, not to turn this into a show about crowdfunding, but uh, I've always thought that was kind of curious that I'm mostly familiar with like Kickstarter projects and it's, it's very much, uh, an all or nothing thing. Like if we get all mm-hmm. the funding, we get to do it. If we don't, everything falls apart. And that always seemed like a weird, a weird line to draw, you know, like why wouldn't it be, it'd be great to have that option to say, you know, if we, if we don't get all the way, fine, we'll get whatever money that we do are able to raise and we can still do something with that. So I'm, that's really cool. Is that sort of a native thing of the platform that you're using? Like, that's just how it works.
0: Yeah, CrowdFunder actually has both options. You you can have a a, a target goal just like Kickstarter or the the mode that I've used is called flexible funding because I knew that Barefoot had additional sources of, of donations as well. So I thought, well... If I can do 80% of that project and they can find the other 20%, that would be great. And even if we fall very far short and we, we can't get to the 10,000 that we need to buy this set of iPads, what we'll do is we'll we'll buy as many iPads as we can from either brand new ones from retail or we'll get other equipment that's useful to barefoot or even just make a, a money donation directly to them. Uh, and they'll they'll benefit either way but ideally we'd like to get this set of iPads because it's a—it's not often you get an opportunity to buy at such a low cost a consistent set of supported devices because an organization like Barefoot very often they're sort of living hand-to-mouth with ones and twos of, of very inconsistent sets of old equipment. So in a lot of cases they're still using iPad 1 uh, which in many cases the battery is very weak now and things like that so whereas these devices, okay, they've been used in a school for three years but they will, they will run iOS 10 they will, um, they they charge correctly. They're they're all mostly in pretty good condition, and we're hoping to get a couple repaired before we send them as well. So uh, it, it's a much better kind of management experience for them and because they don't have that mu- that many staff. It's m- more more of a benefit to them than you would think just to have a consistent set that doesn't take a lot of time to administer as well. Uh, so that's that's to their benefit too.
1: Well, good luck with that because that sounds fantastic. I'm I'm gonna go check out the campaign too myself. So and and that was not a paid sponsorship thing, by the way. <laughs> anybody, I I actually meant that. Yeah.
0: Um, so speaking of iOS 10, how do you feel about uh, the events of last week, WWDC?
1: I'm I'm really excited. Uh, I should probably um, note that I'm I'm not a developer. I I can't write code, but because I've been working in this industry so long, I've I can follow along usually with a lot of what's going on. And I see a lot of excitement around what Apple announced. And, and personally, I really like seeing what they did. Um, I saw someone call it the, the common sense release, mm-hmm. which which makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm not one of those people who needs everything to be like a whiz-bang amazing, you know, they've broken all the rules and it's been incredibly innovative. But it's, sometimes it's just the little details. Like I was watching someone point out a few um, new features where if you're Uh, In iOS 10, if your phone is paired with your car um, for, like, directions and stuff, and then you get somewhere, you turn the car off and park, maps will now record
0: where you parked. Mm Oh, very nice. You know,
1: and so, I mean, that's nothing, you know, that's not going to be a headline all by itself or anything, but, like, that's just a great idea. Like, that just makes sense. You know, why wouldn't that show up, like, three releases ago? Um, So that kind of stuff that gets me excited, you know, especially running a site like finer things in tech. Like sometimes I love just those little details. Sometimes they take the longest, but they're, it's just great little stuff. Um, but I, I haven't actually started using it yet myself. I have decided lately that I want to wait for the public betas. So,
0: yeah, I'm being very conservative too. I mean, uh, given that my, uh, my entire computing infrastructure is, uh, mostly composed of these two I, this iPad and this iPhone that are sitting in front of me right now I've decided to there's no way these devices are running at uh, at least not an early beta version maybe the public beta version yeah but yeah but certainly not the developer beta 1 at this at this time you know uh,
1: but, actually on that note one thing of uh, I thought is kind of funny that we haven't I haven't really seen much of yet at least is You know, back in the Mac days, let's skip back before iOS showed up, people, it'd be pretty normal for people to have, you know, like their home iMac and then their MacBook that they take Mm -hmm. running around with them, and... When beta stuff showed up, maybe you put it on the iMac or the laptop, whichever one was less crucial to your, you know, working environment. Mm -hmm. You know, do you think people are going to start getting like their, their main iPad, so to speak, like maybe a 12 inch and then their to go iPad, you know, a mini or a regular one. And then now you can start messing around with the developer beta and it doesn't matter if your, if your device blows up.
0: Yeah, there's definitely some crazy people out there running a, a two iPad lifestyle. Uh, some of them might even be on this podcast network I couldn't comment Um, (laughs) I'm fortunate in that I I can sort of reach into our our school stock of spare iPads for breakages and take one of them and and use it for iOS 10 oh yeah Um, you have like
1: an iPad for every day of the week over there right pretty much
0: yeah I change (laughs) it with my socks yeah um so I do have a device here running iOS 10 um unfortunately it's uh it's one of those fourth generation iPads that we've been using for the past few years in school and what I've I think I've discovered is that Swift Playgrounds doesn't run on that device um, because that's a, that's the last um, 32-bit iOS device. It's an A6 chip. Uh, oh. Whereas I, I think that um, although iOS 10 runs on that device, I think Swift Playgrounds, at least in the current build, requires a 64-bit chip. Uh, I think that is actually documented somewhere in, in the Swift Playground release notes as well. So although I have played with it because I, I was very fortunate to be a, um, a scholarship winner at WWDC this year, so I was there and I played with it there and I was at the keynote and so on, um, I don't have a copy with me now, so I, I, I'm sort of working from memory at this point until I can uh, until I can steal somebody's uh, slightly more modern iPad to, to test it out on as well.
1: You know, on that note, if is sixty four bit like the basically the the one requirement, could you run it on a modern Mini? Uh,
0: yeah, I, I mean, we we do have a couple of Mini Twos in the school, uh, which will when the next week will become available to me because school's finished next Wednesday. Uh, so I'm going to grab one of them, and hopefully at that point I'll be able to get playgrounds up and running uh, for myself at that point.
1: That'll be that'll be interesting then, because I know size is you know, kind of a factor when you're actually dealing with code. like, I wonder if people are going to be coding even, I know playgrounds isn't like a full blown Xcode, but I wonder if people are going to be coding uh, on a mini.
0: Yeah, I'm sure some people will be, we're actually buying iPad minis in our next deployment for some of the kids. Um, but for the older kids, I think we're probably going 9.7 inch iPad pro. So uh, they should have both enough, uh, enough screen space and enough performance to, to get a good Swift playgrounds experience, which I think will be quite important. I was crazy impressed with Swift Playgrounds. I think it's uh, it, it's really for a first version it's done very well. The content they've produced looks really good as well. And what I was most pleased about was that Swift Playgrounds is effectively uh, it's not exactly an Xcode for iOS because it doesn't have uh, a lot of the kind of build stuff, you know, you know, you can't emit an app from Swift Playgrounds, but you can program against almost all of the iOS APIs. Uh, and in one of the sessions, the session about creating content for Swift playgrounds, one of the one of the demonstrations they did was they they showed an iPad controlling a Sphero robot by over Bluetooth. So they had sort of worked out how to talk oh, to wow. a, a Sphero over Bluetooth, and then they were just um, you know tapping on a button and changing colours inside a Swift playground, and that was making the robot flash different colours. And I was like, okay, now this has got more power than I realised, and, and that was when I I started to get kind of seriously interested in what was possible here.
1: But you can't, you can't create like a standalone app out of Playgrounds and like no. it shows up on your home screen, right? Like you could on a Mac. That is where the
0: line, at least one line is drawn. Yeah, you'll, you'll not publish anything you do in Swift Playgrounds on the App Store. However, you, you could actually um, create a Swift Playground and then airdrop it to a friend and they could use the Playground as well. So it's not, it's not like you couldn't make something that was in some way useful because a Playground can actually run many, many... Uh, standard parts of iOS. So for example if you have um, what's called a, a, what's the phrase, a storyboard in an iOS app which is basically the file that makes up all of the interface and interactions between different screens on an iPad or an iPhone app you can actually compile that and put it into a swift playground and then put it onto an iPad and show that view on the iPad. So you could have you know, on the left hand side parts of code that run the view and the view itself responding on the right hand side. So I can think of some cool projects to do with that kind of thing.
1: I know, I know my, my wife is uh, probably thinking along the same lines because she runs a company called Mobile Makers Academy. Um, and when, when Playgrounds was announced, she was just over the moon about it because what they do is, just very briefly, um, they started as an as iOS boot camp, like a lot of these dev boot camps that have showed up. You mm-hmm. go there for a few weeks, you learn iOS, you can you can become a developer. And now they're focusing on high schools entirely because they will take their curriculum into a high school and train teachers who might not have CS degrees. And now those teachers can teach dozens or hundreds of kids uh, how to get started with iOS development. Uh, and they've been working with a lot of schools. Schools will approach them and say, we really want to get this curriculum into our school, but we only have iPads because you know school budgets aren't always the most uh, the largest thing you're going to run into and to save some money they instead of going with Macs they went with iPads mm-hmm. and they that kind of kneecapped what they could do with with that curriculum and so when that was announced i mean that's just going to open so many doors for so many schools that my wife has talked to um especially schools in that aren't in in different areas of of cities where um Uh, they don't have access to the type of resources that everyone else does. And there's a lot of kids that have been itching to start doing this stuff and now they can get their hands on, on, at least on the start of it, you know, I mean, they're probably going to still going to have to graduate to a Mac at least right now with our current resources, but this is going to open a lot of doors.
0: Yeah. I was, I was pleased to see Apple had, have done their own content as well. Um, so, and the reason for that is is very much that there just aren't enough teachers in the world who know how to program to an acceptable level. They could teach all the children who want to learn. Um, and, you know, what do you call a teacher who can program is usually an ex-teacher in, within a couple of years. <laughs> uh, so yeah. uh, that's, in some ways, that's kind of one of the risks of training teachers how to program is that you eventually end up seeing them leave teaching for, for a, uh, three times their salary in the tech sector. Um, but yeah, I think it's, and there's clearly a very big push inside Apple to make this a thing, you know, so it's not just like, you know, they've dumped out a program that can write code on the iPad and that's it. They're following it up with support from the education team, content, iBooks for teachers and for students, you know, so all, all of this, everything that comes under the everyone can code umbrella yeah, uh, Swift Playgrounds is part of that, but there's certainly other parts to do to do with it as well. So it's interesting to see how that will go. I think it's it's set to be an interesting couple of years for for Swift and Playgrounds together. Absolutely. So, we, David, we should probably actually start the show at this point. <laughs> I think, Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, we, we should tell people some new ideas for iOS. And um, I, I told Federico what, what the uh, title for the show was today. And, and he said, I want to do that one. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're going to take it off him. But uh, the title for the show is um, Making iOS Into Weird Things, uh, which I think is going to be a, a very fun topic to discuss. Uh, and this was one that you, you kind of came up with this, David. So talk us through what, what you were thinking when, when this came up.
1: Well, I realized, uh, so I live in the city of Chicago uh, in the United States, and I've been watching so many businesses around here adapt iOS devices, usually iPads, but even even phones too, for all sorts of stuff. So our Museum of Science and Industry has a, a kiosk system where at a lot of the exhibits, it'll be an iPad screen, and a local uh, dev shop here built the app for it, and so they can adapt all sorts of content and... And so a lot of those plaques are have been removed, and now it's an interactive exhibit, which is just totally great on so many levels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's stores that are turning phones into point-of-sale systems, or they're embedding iPads in the wall, because now it's a, it's an interactive art display, or just all these different... They're using this physical device, and they're turning it into so many different things. And that just hit me, like the, the power of... You know, maybe it just comes down to the, these devices being just a slab of glass, and you can attach it to whatever you want. You can build things around it. There's just a, a lot of baggage that you shed when you get rid of the traditional computer format, and that's that's just been really interesting to me to watch.
0: Yeah, even at WWDC last week, there was um, we, the badge that you had was it was an RFID card, and as you went into Moscone, there were sort of um, white pillars just standing beside the door. And there was a screen on it, and you had to sort of badge in by touching your badge against this post. And what was embedded there was actually just an iPad. And it would just it would pull mm. your name off the RFID tag, and it would say, hello, Fraser, and you could walk into the conference. So even there, Apple Apple are embedding iPads into the physical infrastructure. And, of course, they do that in their stores as well, with their they're point-of-sale information systems. And, you, and nowadays you see, uh, you see people in the stores walking about with an iPhone with a chip and pin reader on the back that lets you... Let's you check out as well. Um, I don't know if you've noticed that they finally upgraded from iOS 6 on those devices. In our local Apple store, they've, they're now using, um, I think it's iPhone 6S. Oh,
1: yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I, I still remember very early on, I think their very early handheld systems were like Windows CE or something or a, or a old Palm OS.
0: And the other thing is, of course, the Genius Bar is now all run on iOS devices as well. In the old oh, wow. days of, of Genius Bar, it was you know they had Mac laptops on stands behind the bar, and now every Genius just carries an iPad and they pull out a Mac if they need to do some diagnostics or something. But even that's starting to become remote as well because I recently had a battery issue with my phone, and what they did was they went into they would set up a session somewhere in the cloud, and then they go into the diagnostics on the phone and they would just run a thing built into iOS and send it to the cloud and then look at it on their iPad rather than plugging it into a Mac with a cable and then doing something. Uh, so all of that is starting to become slabs of glass as well. So, yeah, we're going to make iOS into some weird things tonight. So <laughs> let's dig in. Uh, and I want to talk first about that kiosk idea that you were telling me about there with the uh, the museum in Chicago. Uh, that's certainly something that we've seen done in other places as well. And I mean, how would we build this? You know, uh, do you know you've you talked about there being custom apps for that? That's one way to do it. Um, Another way to do it, which is one we've done in school, is we've used uh, Keynote for that. And you can do this either as a a kind of looping presentation in Keynote, or you can also do it using uh, an interactive hyperlinks feature where you can make any object on a Keynote slide be a button that jumps you to another Keynote slide. So you can use buttons to kind of build out... uh, it's a choose-your-own-adventure... Uh, HyperCard, yeah, sort of choose-your-own-adventure kind of thing. Huh. Um, we've actually done that as a project in school with kids to imagine you're making a museum kiosk and then just take a topic and break it down and, and turn, it into, turn it into a live kiosk. And there's some cool features in iOS that make this really powerful. You know, one of them is uh, if you're doing just a one-off thing, there's a, a feature called Guided Access, which is... You, have you used Guided Access for anything, David?
1: No, actually, I was really excited to hear about this from you.
0: Guardian access is something that is quite commonly known about in schools because what it does is it limits the user uh, to only being in one particular app and You can use it to disable both parts of the screen or need the whole screen if you want to you can completely disable the touchscreen You can disable the home button the sleep-wake button the volume buttons. You can prevent the keyboard from coming up Um, you can Uh, You can also stop rotation from happening so you can keep it locked in landscape or portrait mode, whatever suits your application. And basically it's an accessibility setting. So it is often described as something that you would use for students who have special needs uh, and need to be kind of focused into one application at a time. Uh, And you can set it up so that all you do is you triple click the home button. And what you see is is that the iPad screen sort of shrinks down about a quarter inch from from its normal size and additional controls come up around, around the screen. And this is where you can turn on and off certain things like these buttons that I talked about or the touch screen and so on. But one of the cool things you can do with this is you can actually draw with your finger like a circle or a square or a triangle, any shape you want on an area of the screen. So if you want the user to be able to touch some things but not other things, what you can do is you can disable a part of the screen and that bit gets disabled, but the rest of it works fine. Oh, wow. We actually use this in school for exams. So in, 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 when students are writing, say, an English exam, what we'll do is we'll give them pages. Uh, we'll lock them into Guiding Access. And we also have, um, uh, we disable a wee space over one of the buttons so that they can't turn on spell checking inside the program. Huh. So they can't, they can't open up that button menu to go in and change that. Um, and they also can't get back out to any other app either. So it's, uh, gated Access is a fe- just a built-in feature of every iOS device and has been for a long time. I think it came out maybe in iOS 6, I think, was when we first started using it. Um, and it's, it's something that's really good to know about. It's also really good if you just have kids and you want to give them a game to play on your phone, but you don't want them to get into your email or something. You just triple click that home button and hand it over.
1: I'm actually kind of curious about how this works because we're all very much trained on how these screens work and we've been taught that we can usually touch and scroll just about anywhere on the screen. Do people react well to that when there's part of the screen that's just
0: literally not listening to them anymore? Well, it does give you a little visual indicator. So there's a little kind of um, gray, uh, depending on what shape you drew, like a square or a circle or something, there's a little gray area over those buttons. So what we've done for students that are, are used to that is we, we give them practice tests just to say, well, here's what your iPad is going to be like inside the exam um, and this is why this is why these buttons don't work and they, they kind of understand that and we have a sort of checklist that we use to say we've turned all these things on so that we, we can sort of show that um, we set those iPads up correctly so that the, the kids can go on the internet and look up the answers, for example. Uh, gated access is not the only thing we rely on in that situation. But, because uh, we also do things like hide all the apps and put it on a, a, a firewalled network so they can only print, and they can't do anything else and so on. So it's pretty tight, but, and that's one of the things that I like about iOS as a platform is you can actually lock uh, so much of the functionality out, rather than we talk in the show a lot about bringing functionality in, but this is a way that you can actually lock out a lot of things that you might otherwise want to do. So uh, guided access is a, a pretty cool feature to know about if you are trying to build a kiosk or build a you know, a museum display or something that you want people to look at, but maybe not necessarily touch. Or if you're trying to prank your friends. <laughs> Indeed, that's another way to do it. Why is my iPad not working? Why can't I get out of this app? The only thing is when you press the home button, it does a banner comes up across the top that says gated access is enabled. So it's, uh, it's not, uh, yeah, they thought about that. I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> the you prank I mean? factor. <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean any, any uh, computer engineering company is just full of the people who wanted to do that to their kids when, or to their friends when they were kids, so uh, they're, they're on that.
1: I remember um, early on in my Mac days, some of us discovered that I think you could hit Control-Option-Command and then 8... And that was a shortcut for some type of a of a color blind or color assist mode, and it would basically mm-hmm. invert all the colors on the screen. Yep. And that was a super easy way, of course, to, to mess with people. And there was no warning or no you know banner that told you what's actually going on. So that
0: was that was fun for a little while. Yeah, when I when I train teachers about iOS, one of the things I I, I spend time going through things like voiceover and inverted colors and things like that, mostly because. Um, their kids will turn that on in class by fiddling with it, and they need to know how to get it back out. Mm. Uh, not so much the teachers necessarily need that straight away, although some of them might. But it's just that you the kids will fiddle with that, so you need to know what it is that's happened here, and it's not, it's not a matter for tech support.
1: And one last thing, I think that's worthwhile mentioning about the kiosks thing is, uh, you know, spending this time in coffee shops, I talked to a lot of small store owners, and mm-hmm. you know, some of them started adopting, um, you know, the iPad. You know, point of sale terminals, and the most popular one I've seen is is from Square. Uh, I think mm-hmm. you can buy them in Apple stores. Uh, and I started talking to them about how, like, w- what got them interested in this, and they said, "Well, you know, previously we would be buying these these credit terminals from whatever these companies were that serve small stores, and they'd have to pay, I think, two or three hundred bucks just to get the credit terminal, and then it was something like a hundred or two hundred dollar fee per month." to it's like a rental fee on top of paying for the terminal I'm I'm not entirely sure why or how that worked and they were also paying the percentage per credit transaction on top of whatever they had to pay to Visa MasterCard the the actual credit providers so Mm -hmm. they were getting nailed three times on those devices and it was an ongoing fee and so you know, with these Square kiosks and, and other companies, you know, you, you pay like 600 bucks or so to get the iPad and this sort of like this housing that holds it and it acts like a cash register for you and you can ring people up and swipe cards and you just pay a small fee, you know, for the processing to to Square or whoever makes it. And that just, that just, it just did so much for these small businesses that were already having such a hard time staying in business.
0: Yeah. I've also seen one in the UK where it's like a kind of generic loyalty card scheme uh, for multiple businesses like small businesses that don't want to run their own scheme but they have there's a sort of iPad that faces out to the customer and you can scan the customer gets a card with a QR code on it and they they can scan it with the front uh, the front camera oh yeah and then and then that accredits your account with an, an appearance at that store or whatever as well so uh, that's another way you do that
1: I feel the need to give a shout out to some friends of mine who work at Belly. We have a company here in Chicago, uh, and a, mm-hmm. that's a similar system. It's a it's a loyalty reward system. It's a cool app. You should try it. Um, but yeah, even that too, and that that can save. I mean, one, it saves a lot of money, but you also get the cool factor because now I'm using my phone to do stuff, and we need to use our phones to do everything now. So
0: absolutely, your phone is your phone is almost more important than your wallet now. Yeah, when I, when I was traveling to WWC, my my kind of. Uh, my hierarchy was, number one, the passport, right? Don't lose the passport. Number two, keep your phone charged. Number three, Hmm. your wallet. (laughs) And there was one point where I I was traveling through, I was going through security in Heathrow in London, and I was halfway to my gate, and I thought, I don't know where my wallet is. And I I searched around my bag, and I couldn't find it. And I I was short of time. I was standing there going, do I go back for my wallet and try and maybe miss the plane? Or do I just go to the plane and then just use Apple Pay for the next two weeks? And uh, my Ooh. choice was actually to go to the go to the aircraft and, and deal with it afterwards, because I hadn't had my boarding pass on the phone. I had my passport. I had enough to to live with. Oh wow! And then you know the wallet could be dealt with later as well. Fortunately, I didn't lose it. It was actually deeply in my bag. It had got crushed at the bottom. So I
1: was about to ask. You couldn't leave us yeah. hanging like that. So okay. No, it was it, it was, it was well. just a
0: moment of blind panic. It wasn't it wasn't actually lost, but <laughs> uh, it serves me right for being uh, too short in time. Okay, number two is a weird one. I don't know if you've seen this done before, David, but this is one that my wife and I uh, used to use when our children were younger, um, and it's turning iOS devices into a baby monitor.
1: These I haven't seen because we uh, we don't have
0: children, so I'm okay out on this so, one. So many people have seen the the kind of um, Wi-Fi connected cameras, like dedicated cameras that you can get an app and look at the camera through the app. But the the one that we've used before is called Cloud Baby Monitor. And what it does is it actually um, uses two iOS devices to to make a two way link uh, between the baby's room and whatever device, the parent device. And you install the same app in both devices. And you just say, well, this one's the baby unit and this one's the parent unit and they start to behave differently. So the baby unit just you know turns on the microphone and when you connect it from the parent unit, it just streams the audio from one device to another. But you've also got some controls on the device, such as if the baby unit is a phone, you can turn on the flashlight on the phone to light up the baby's room a little bit. You can make it play noises and things like that as well. All the kind of features you get in a generic baby monitor, a hardware baby monitor, but these are, this is just one app that you install on two devices Uh, and we mostly used that when we were going on holiday and we would have all our ipads and phones and things with us and we would just put one in the baby's room connect it to the house wi-fi and then we could just have it on your phone as well brilliant Um, it was really cool actually it's a really cool app Um, and it's just another example of just dropping an ipad in or dropping a phone in where previously you'd have carried a whole other thing I mean, that isn't, hasn't that been the experience of like the past 10 years of iOS is just one thing after another, just getting eaten up by software on your phone.
1: Yeah. Right. And I bet these industries weren't quite expecting it so soon, but I've been curious actually about this use and it kind of ties into the next thing we're going to talk about of, you know, how do these devices hold up being, uh, you know, pretty much all, I don't know if I want to say always on camera, but kind of always on standby cameras, like, do they actually hold up, and can they run video for that long, and and that kind of thing? Um, I'm I'm curious to hear about the reliability of that.
0: Yeah, I think certainly in, in some situations, running a camera for too long can can lead to well, we what we found with Cloud Baby monitor was that if you left the video feed on all the time, the battery on the on the device with the camera on would just run down and down and down. So you had to sort of plug it in uh, to to wall power at that point. But it was it was certainly a very usable solution, and the audio was as good if not better than the kind of radio ones that you get um which are generally quite bad actually uh so it was a nice a nice little way to um we actually found it because we went and holiday one time and forgot the baby monitor and we were like well what are we going to do now disaster because when you know our second daughter beth was she was just a baby at the time and, and the house we were in was quite big so she was quite far away from where we were sitting and i was like oh what can we do what can we do what can we do oh no i'm gonna have to go out and buy one hang on a minute, there must be an app for that. Yeah. <laughs> it turned out there's like five, but Cloud Baby Monitor was the one that we'd used before and it was it, it did the job for us really well.
1: That's one of the best examples I can think of of solving a real world problem on the spot with with software.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think they actually have an Apple Watch app now as well that can sort of tell you when the baby's crying, which is just oh, wow. crazy. Yeah, yeah. So next thing, David, uh, home security cameras. This was one of yours.
1: Yeah, and this is this is where I'm getting curious because I've been thinking about getting a, a camera set up in the home. Um, we live in a, a good neighborhood in in Chicago, but you know, there's always that concern. Um, I mean, every now and then there's been a garage broken into, um, things like that. And I kind of in the same situation that that you were in. Of course, it's not quite as immediate. But I said, you know, I've got these these phones, these older phones laying around. Um, and just as a side note, I have I have a few friends like uh, Jeff Gammett Um, at uh, who are um, he's at the Mac Observer and uh, he has he's one of those people that has like a Mac uh, museum you know I think like in his basement where he's got some of the really important Macs I'm that person with iOS devices Uh, so I have like the original and like each major redesign and I was looking on my shelf one day and I'm like well I have these phones sitting around and I don't really want them to go anywhere but you know they could sit on a shelf maybe downstairs or in the, the kitchen by the doors And so I started looking into what solutions there were for that. And the one that I found was, there's a few of them, of course, but the one I found is called Many Things. And I haven't set it up yet. This is fairly recent for me, but I've been really curious to hear kind of in the baby monitor situation, you know, how do these things hold up being used as, you know, it's not quite a camera that's running 24 seven, but it, it could be, you know, and for certain periods of time, it could be running for an extended period of time. You Mm -hmm. know, longer than your typical home video or anything. And um, that part I haven't gotten into researching much yet, but I don't know if that's, you know, one of the situations that Apple is necessarily designing these things for. So I'm curious.
0: Yeah, that would be interesting if anybody has any feedback on that. If anybody's used these things over a longer period, I'd like to hear about that and we could maybe follow up in a later show on that. But it's another example of just. Uh, the sensors built into these devices, you know, you, some of these apps have features where you can, you, you can, they're listening, but they don't turn the camera on until they hear a sound or something like that. Um, or they're vibrated in some way, things like that. So uh, all of those sensors kind of work together to, to build a, a, a fairly rich thing. That's probably more powerful if you like, than some of the, the standalone cameras that you could get out there as well.
1: And of course there's, there's advantages and disadvantages here. Like if you get an actual camera system from, You know there's a lot of these internet of things companies springing up Mm -hmm. uh their names don't come to mind at the moment but you know some of the more advanced cameras that are built to be baby monitors drop yeah drop cam Mm -hmm. um you know some of them can swivel some of them have different lenses for you know night vision uh some of them might have better sensors for like when pets move around i know that's that's kind of like a challenge for a lot of them right now is you know making sure your pets don't send up a red flag.
0: When the um, Roomba kicks off in the middle of the night, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's definitely another way to it's a repurpose, you know, like an older device instead of spending a
0: lot of money on a new system. Uh, next thing is dedicated Netflix device. This was another one that you had popped onto the list, David.
1: Yeah, it's... I find it... I mean, it's probably fairly basic at this point because some people, you know, run out and and pick up, uh, you know, like the Amazon $50 tablet just so their kids can Mm -hmm. watch Netflix. But I find it fascinating that a lot of people are are growing up or switching to watching, you know, consuming most of their video content on these tiny little screens. Um, Mm -hmm. And like my nephew, he almost never watches anything on TV anymore. He's not even that interested in it. Uh, unless it's on his his little iPad Mini that his parents gave him, um, and I remember at the the onset of this stuff when like the iTunes Store started selling uh, videos and whatnot, and then the iPhone came out. I think it was uh, I looked it up here. I think it was David Lynch who was was one of those directors who came mm-hmm. out and he was really uh, negative about it. He just I think he said something like no one is going to want to watch a, a movie on a phone because that's just that's not what they were made for and that's what they're that's not how you experience them et cetera. Et cetera. and it was this old culture clashing mm-hmm. with the new and now there's people growing up entirely on these things they might not even have an hd tv or think about having one
0: yeah well i mean didn't steve jobs himself insist that nobody wanted to watch a two-inch uh, video and uh, at least until <laughs> the very day in which apple had a two-inch video player in there. <laughs> right and after that it was of course a fait accompli wasn't it
1: yeah I had one of those too, and I'll admit it wasn't great watching video on those. On the phone, yes, but the little two-inch iPod screen, not so
0: much. Yeah, but we kind of loved, we loved the achievement of it, I suppose, as much as anything, didn't we? Um, one of the things that just sort of comes to mind when we're talking about that kind of idea is um, um, how much YouTube, and this is something I kind of bang on all the time about, but how much YouTube is a learning tool now. Um, And one of the ways I see this done is when my daughters or my wife are cooking in the kitchen, they love to bake and and make really complicated cakes and things. Mm. What they'll often do is they'll take an iPad into the kitchen and they'll just play and pause a YouTube video um, while they're working. So we have this thing in our kitchen, which is a kind of it's like a bracket that hangs down from the shelf above the worktop. Mm -hmm. And and it has a, a two sided iPad bracket and you can just sit your iPad in there and clamp it down so that it's ha- it doesn't take up space on the worktop surface, but it hangs sort of at eye level. And uh, something they've done sometimes when they're being particularly messy is you actually wrap the iPad in cling film, um, I'm not sure what the American term for cling film is, is it wrap or something like that yeah um, yeah the clear understand. stuff that you use to wrap up sandwiches or whatever mm-hmm. um, and you can still you can still use the uh, touch screen through it and it keeps the iPad clean but you can still touch it with your dirty baking hands or whatever um, so and that's another way that we've, that we've used brought video and, and turned this thing into a sort of uh, it's almost like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or something you know just <laughs> there telling you what to do um, uh, while, while you do something that's perhaps hands free
1: and that's actually perfect because this is one thing i remembered i wanted to bring up but i forgot to put it in the notes here but i'm kind of in that same bucket i'm teaching myself how to how to cook and i have to do that same thing i look a recipe up on my ipad in like epicurious or something mm-hmm. and i bring it into the kitchen and my hands are a mess and that was one thing i finally ran into like there's got to be a way to solve this problem and the first thing that came to my mind was trying to find some kind of like cooking friendly case you know that i could use it through the screen i didn't even mm-hmm. think of using saran wrap that's brilliant
0: yeah, we've we done that in school a couple of times as well when we're, we're painting and there's iPads around and things, so we'll just, um, some people I've seen also just put it into a clear plastic bag. Uh, if you're not using a case or something, the bags are about the right size. Uh, a Ziploc bag or something, you can just stand it up and touch it through that as well. So, David, I'm going to take a pause just now and tell folks about our sponsor for this show, if that's okay. Absolutely. Um, we have got a, a first, a new sponsor for the show. Not our first sponsor, but a new sponsor, so it's their first time on the show. And it's a company you may have heard of called Martian Craft. And, and Martian Craft is a, a, a bespoke iOS developer company. And they are behind some of the most prominent software on the App Store. I've met some of the guys that work there, and they are they are a crack team. Um, But what you might not know about MartianCraft is they also offer a wide variety of training. Like you were saying, David, about um, boot camps earlier on, MartianCraft have got classes to accommodate everyone from entry level to senior iOS developers that are looking to amplify their skills or improve collaborative problem solving or anything around about iOS development. Fortune 500 companies rely on MartianCraft to make their teams and their software better. And you can find out for yourself why they are the right choice for your company by going to martiancraft.com slash training to learn more. We'll also have a link to that in the show notes and our thanks to Martian Craft for sponsoring Canvas this week. So David, let's push on here. Uh, time is running on and we have many more things to talk about. Uh, next idea is uh, data collection. And there's a couple of things that we've done in school with this. And one of them is uh, the sort of the neglected stepchild of the the iWork family numbers um, is actually has a really interesting mode in iOS. So if you're ever doing a survey or something like that, or you just need to collect information from people, you can actually do a kind of basic form in numbers that connects to a spreadsheet table inside numbers. And what you get on your iPad is basically a sort of singular form, like a database record and you can fill it out. And then there's a button at the bottom that says something like new, new record or something and then every time you hit that button that creates a new record in your spreadsheet a new row in your spreadsheet with the information that you've collected so this is something you can actually use to make collect information about anything you want just pop it all in there and then uh, you end up with a spreadsheet of data it's kind of like a standalone version of google forms if you like
1: I don't know what this says about me, but the first thing that popped into my head because this is really interesting to me is uh, we have parties with friends a lot. Um, I work on a small side company with uh, a few developer friends of mine, and we're tinkering with they're tinkering with making some apps, and I'm helping them out with stuff. And you know, at these parties or these these uh, meetups, uh, we always have to order food for everybody. And it's mm-hmm. always a chore. Like, what should we get this time? Who wants what on what? Et cetera, et cetera. We've all been through this. Like, the, the first use for that is, is you could build a form for, like, what we're going to get for lunch today. And now you can, like, put in what you actually want to eat. And nobody has to sign up for a service. Nobody has to send emails around. You can just pass around a phone or something. Yep.
0: There you go. That, that's quite a fun way to do that. Um, I remember back in the early days of the App Store, there actually was a dedicated app for taking a tea order in an office. I can't oh, sure. I could remember the name of it, but it was it was an app where you could say you know uh, it was like a sort of tally counter, but it was milk and sugar and you know one sugar, no milk, and so on, uh, which I thought was a very specific use case, but one that probably gets gets hit several times a day. So uh, that kind of data collection is something that can be pretty useful too.
1: But then we also have uh, like actual event like check in, you know, like attendee registration and such for this type of use.
0: Yeah, this is kind of like similar to the, the kiosks that you were talking about for Square and, and pay, paying in shops. We're actually doing this in school for the first time tomorrow, so I'm a little nervous about talking about this right now in case I jinx myself. But um, we started using Eventbrite for school events. So we're having a small meeting tomorrow night for some parents, and I've asked them to sort of indicate their, their interest in attending by registering through Eventbrite. Obviously, the ticket's free, but it just kind of helps me know. And one of the things you can actually do with that is you can have... Um, you, you can have an iOS device using its camera and if people have printed a ticket or they've got a um, a, a passbook or a wallet card on mm-hmm. their phone, you can just scan it with your camera and check them in automatically that way. Uh, and that's there's a sort of separate event management app for that in Eventbrite, but you can have multiple people doing that around the site and it all talks back to Eventbrite and it checks off who was there and who wasn't as well.
1: You know, this is one place where, um, one of the many places where I'm kind of surprised that Apple hasn't opened up uh, the NFC in, in mm-hmm. uh, I think it's the iPhone 6 and the 6S. I think those are the only ones that have had it, uh, mm-hmm. because that could be super useful for checking into a party like this. Like, if you have your contact card set up or whatever, and if I can, you know, just boop your Eventbrite device and, and Touch ID... You know, you can get my email and my name and whatever I'm willing to to give you for the registration, or you could see the ticket. You know, that's that's sitting in Passbook. Uh, that seems like a something ripe for the the NFC reader, and it seems like developers aren't talking about it a whole lot, which is surprising. Or maybe I just I'm just missing it.
0: Yeah, I, I think in some ways people have tried to use QR codes and things like that to work around the lack of uh, of that. But I suppose you you would need hardware on both ends. So whether you could make um because i don't think ipads have got nfc chips so it's not that you could have an ipad as a receiver and mm. you'd have to end up with two phones or whatever but uh, that's probably not the not outside the bounds of possibility but i would i imagine if i was um uh, if i was an engineer at apple working on nfc stuff i would be very very conservative about opening that part up just because it's so closely tied to payments
1: yeah yeah i can see some of that it's it's tricky territory absolutely uh there's just so many interesting uses for for nfc uh so who knows? Maybe next year.
0: Okay, let's push on. Um, next thing, uh, building tools. I don't know if you've ever. Uh, I, I'm terrible with DIY. I don't know if you're a fan of DIY, David, but I am a disaster at putting up anything that is supposed to screw onto a wall.
1: I'm slowly getting there. Uh, we bought our first house about two and a half years ago, and we're at that point where we start want to want to start like tearing walls down and hanging more stuff and whatnot. So I'm I'm on that cliff right now. We're about to dive in.
0: So a couple of things that um, have been uh, possible in iOS for a while, uh, ever since the, the accelerometer uh, became, you know, commonly understood as a thing, um, you've seen these apps that let you use your iPhone as a spirit level to check the level of, of certain things just using the. The accelerometer, um, there, if you search for Spirit Level in the App Store, there's like 40 of them. It's, it, it's like the new flashlight app, if you like. But, <laughs> um, those are reasonably effective, you know, to first order. They're not professional tools, I wouldn't say, but they're uh, for domestic use, they're not too bad. Um, there's one other one, which I haven't put in the notes, but I, I saw this just as I was kind of browsing, uh, doing a bit of research for the show. There are apps that use um, ultrasonic sounds to measure the size of your room and they can automatically sort of generate a room plan. What? I don't know if you've seen these apps. Yeah. No. Um, so so what you do is, is you, you touch, take your phone, I'm sort of holding it in my hand here as if you can see me, but uh, <laughs> you, you touch it on each wall, and it uses ultrasonic pulses out of this phone speaker to sort of gauge where the other walls are. And you just touch it on each wall, press a button as you do, and then it builds up for you a, a map of where what shape the room is and, and roughly what size it is as well. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Can it map cool. out,
1: you know, objects in the room, your couch, your desk?
0: Um, I'm not sure about that, but you can certainly say, you know, okay, uh, now I'm holding the phone on the window or the door and it can put the windows and doors in at the right place as well. Okay. I'll, I'll I'll try very hard to try and get back to whatever app that was. I can't even remember its name right now, but it was, it was really cool when I saw it, so
1: i love that these devices the tools in them are getting accurate enough for these mm-hmm. uses i mean like you said professionals probably aren't using their phones you know to to build a house but you know for common you know regular folk stuff they work well enough like that's yeah you know uh, is there like a department you know in in the iphone wing of apple who's you know they're just running around <laughs> putting their phones up against walls to make sure that they can hang a picture right. <laughs>
0: Oh well, yeah, they've got that, that crazy chamber that they used to show you for the antenna design. You know, there's one of them for just checking the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, another thing, David, uh, is digital signage. I don't know if you've, you've done very much with this. We haven't done very much at school, but it's something that I'm kind of hoping the Apple TV will eventually take over for us. But I've certainly seen some schools uh, in the UK and abroad uh, run digital signs from iOS devices.
1: I know I've seen a few restaurants in t- around town uh... Uh, use them for uh, the menu at the front of the, the restaurant so instead mm-hmm. of having the, the big menu like printed out in front they'll just have an iPad embedded in a wall or something okay. uh, also just used to rotate art I've seen so mm. I've been in a hallway I'm trying to remember the building um, I'm bad with the building names in Chicago but I remember a hallway uh, on the way to like a doctor's office or something and there were iPads every you know maybe 5 or 10 feet and they were just rotating different types of art
0: and particularly with, I imagine if you're really rich, you know, iPad Pros all the way along with bigger art, Ooh. that would be very tempting. But of course, you can connect your iOS device to a bigger screen as well, um, and and run things that way as well. So, uh, I'm curious about what could happen in the future with iOS that way. Uh, I suppose for most digital signage, it's kind of the same idea as if you were doing a kiosk. You look at things like guided access mode, self-looping keynote files, and so on. But you could build something pretty nifty with that as well. Oh sure next thing along my list is uh, a digital music stand and this is something that I, I play bass guitar in various groups and bands and things like that and one of the things I love to do with this is to get our sheet music as a PDF and use my iPad in place of, you know, a big folder full of music. Uh, and this it has, ever since I got the iPad Pro, this has been way better than before. Um, it was okay on the iPad, but you had to sit quite close and my eyes aren't what they used to be and so on. Um, but what's really cool about this is that some of the best apps, um, and my favorite one is called Fourscore, that's F-O-R-S-C-O-R-E. Um, it supports uh, Bluetooth pedals for flipping your pages back and forward. There's a there's a thing called Airturn, turn, which is basically it's like two guitar pedals, if you like, connected to a Bluetooth receiver and you can connect it to your iPad and you can just sit there with your feet and just flip your music back and forward by pressing the forward and back foot pedals. Uh, is one of the coolest things. I absolutely will love it.
1: You might have, have just solved the mystery of what I was going to bring up. Uh, I was mm-hmm. with some friends at the top of the John Hancock building in Chicago, which I recommend over the Sears Tower, by the way, because uh, okay. you can get a drink up there. And the restaurant, I saw the piano player there, was using an iPad for sheet music. And it was, it was kind of far away, so I couldn't see exactly what was happening on screen, but there was some type of motion, and the music would just... Uh, progress automatically for him, like a page would flip. I could, I could mm-hmm. tell that, and I didn't understand how that was working or how he was doing that. And that's
0: probably it. Yeah, they probably had something down on the floor there. I think some of the apps as well. If if you tell it roughly how um, how quickly the music plays, it can calculate for you when you'll need to turn the page based on how many beats there are and how many bars you've got on the page and so on. But the the probably the more basic interpretation is just these Bluetooth pedals, which are uh, they're really cool. Um, Fourscore is a really great app for this because uh, what it also has is it now has like really good integration with the Apple Pencil. So if you are using the iPad Pro and, you know, everybody else is using paper and pencil, so you've got to sort of keep up with them and, and they won't sit and wait for you when the, when the conductor says, you know, here's a, a little change we're going to do. You have to be able to mark up your digital version as fast as everybody else can write in their paper version. Oh, sure um so in early versions of fourscore you used to have to sort of go into an editing mode and choose a tool and things like that but because the apple pencil now it can detect when you're using your finger for just moving the page around and when you're using the pencil to mark up so you can just grab the pencil and just go straight onto the page and mark on it and then it's just so fluid it's it's just really really good so if you are a musician and you're interested in uh, turning your ipad into a music stand uh, that's a great way to go and of course because it's backlit when the lights are down, uh, you don't need to have those little crazy little lights that uh, never quite give you enough light coverage on your page. Uh, oh, so sure. It's, it's a really, really nice way to work. So we're getting through this. Um, last couple of things, really, David. first one is we've talked all the way through about mounting and cabling for iOS installations. You know, We've talked about building them into walls and building them into uh, holders and various things. Uh, do you have any favorite brackets or holders or anything that you've seen for for iOS devices?
1: I think just for practical purposes, those under cabinet uh, brackets that you mentioned are really nice. My my wife has one. That's what she uses uh, actually to turn her iPad into a Netflix device because when she's in the kitchen, she knows what she's doing uh, (laughs) and she doesn't need instructions like I do. And she just watches uh, all sorts of stuff on Netflix. So she kind of combines the bracket and the other thing that we talked about. Um, True multitasking, yeah. I do kind of want to bounce back really quickly to to one of the things that we were talking about at the beginning of Mm -hmm. why these devices are so adaptable. And one thing that also hit me is some people have have said, you know, I I wish they'd add a pencil holder or I wish they'd add, um, you know, certain types of hookups for stands, you know, change the actual format of the device to, Mm -hmm. to fit some of these uses. And I actually really like that Apple builds them basically as bare bones as possible because it opens up as many doors for what you want to do. You know, if, if certain types of, like, stand hookups would, you know, show up on one side of the iPad, well, now that's going to change how a lot of these brackets are going to be able to work or the orientation you can have it in or something like that. Um, you know, it, it makes them as malleable as possible for whatever your purpose is. And I, I kind of like that, actually.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've seen all kinds of things, you know, like... Um mounts that you can put an ipad onto the back of a headrest in the car for example for kids instead of a dvd system in a car you can get mounts for that mm-hmm. we've talked about under cabinet mounts things like that um all kinds of holders and you know brackets and things i've seen ones for um uh, doing gps navigation on the ship you know so like waterproof ones as well and things like that uh, there's just so many options but one of the things just to think about if you are going to build some kind of standalone or unattended iOS installation is think about anti-theft as well, right? Because people will want to walk away with these things. Um, so there are sort of basic ones for in the house, and then there are ones that uh, you might want to build your device into if you, were, uh, if you were doing something in a public installation, for example. So just one thing to think about there is... Um, there are some brackets you can get that cover the home button, for example, so that people can't get out of your app. Ooh, Although, of yeah. course, if you, if you listen to the start of the show and you know about guided access, they can have at it because there's <laughs> nothing they can do about that. So just <laughs> go for it. Yeah. Um, but, of course, we've also got to think about powering the device as well. So we've talked, Frederick and I have talked in the show before about our love for the, uh, the six foot long Amazon lightning cable, which is uh, something that I think should be in the box from day one. Uh, a longer cable just enables you to put it further away from sockets and things like that and still get the power that you need for the device
1: right yeah i mean especially if it's going to be a pc replacement you you have to be able to have it in those scenarios and sometimes you're quite away from an outlet
0: yeah yeah so i i actually forked out for the uh 29 watt usb-c power adapter and i forked out an extra 10 up 10 pounds i think it was or ten dollars for the uh for the two-meter cable instead of the one-meter cable. You know, like, it's the most expensive meter of cable I've ever bought in my life, I think. But
1: So I, I kind of did the same thing, but um, because I switched out, I used to have a 13-inch Retina MacBook, and I switched mm-hmm. to the 12-inch, the new one, mm-hmm. and that came with the 29-watt adapter. And so okay. once I picked up the USB-C to lightning cable, I basically now get to use the same power adapter for both my Mac and my iPad Pro.
0: That's nice. Yeah.
1: So that saves on the backpack and, you know, moving stuff around and whatnot.
0: Do you think there's anything else that's needed in iOS to support these kind of installations? Or do you think we've got all the tools we need?
1: So I was hoping to bring that up to you because I spent Mm -hmm. some time thinking about this and I realized, you know, we've got a lot of the uses here and we talked about a bunch of it, but I haven't had enough experience on the other end setting these devices up and having to lock them down. And I... I don't know. I mean, how do you feel about the state of, of iOS for these purposes and, and how you can lock the devices down for whatever whatever you need?
0: Yeah, well, I, I think my sense at the moment is that we're, we're pretty well provided for um, in the sense that we have the ability to lock devices into individual apps. And then we can also apply, um, you know, Apple Configurator is Apple's tool for doing mass configuration of these things. So if you're, for example, running a restaurant where you've got 40 menus that all are on iPads, for example, um, you could plug all 40 of them into a massive USB hub and then sync them all at once and set them all up and lock them into your menu application, if you like. Whereas in our school, because we're only dealing with one or two at a time for exams, we will actually just set them up by hand because it's it's mm. not worth building a process just for two. devices um so most of those things are there i think um you the kind of thing you said david just to think about you know are the cameras suitable for running for long periods and so on and things like that Uh, and of course the battery drain and also the one thing that i've seen more often i was um visiting panera bread recently when i was in the states and they have these ipad based um quick ordering terminals so you can walk into the store and you can um you can just order what you want and then the order gets sent off to the the kitchen or something. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed was that in some of them, they had prompts up asking for the iTunes password. You know, that's probably just generated by the fact that nobody's been into iTunes on that device in like six months or whatever. Yeah. Um, But some way to kind of suppress any kind of requests for information like that or any suppress any sort of breaking of the fourth wall, if you like, from from the bowels of iOS to the user. You don't want to have that showing up to people um, when... when when you've kind of locked it down otherwise. Um, And the folks at Panera seem to have done a reasonably good job of doing that. They had sort of bounced that made it look like just a screen and not an iPad and so on. But the giveaway is when it asks for your iTunes password in the middle of ordering your bagel and coffee.
1: Yeah, right. Because generally speaking, if you're setting up a a device like this, you, you have the apps you needed to use. You probably have the content you needed to use. So like iCloud sync doesn't need to be on iTunes doesn't need to be checking for you know permissions to play files or anything like that like some of those background processes just need to be shut off
0: yeah so I think in in some ways just being able to turn off like everything except the one thing I want is uh is something that's still a little bit needed because occasionally iOS will prompt you for things that you maybe don't want the public to be prompted for on your behalf
1: yeah Outside of, outside of industry, though, uh, you as, as a parent, what about for, for regular folks, like locking the iPad down for your kids? You know, you only want them to use certain apps, or you don't want them to be able to mm-hmm. message people. What about in that kind of scenario?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think restrictions, uh, parental restrictions are probably two shows in itself in terms of uh, the number of things you can tweak now. But uh, one of the things that's interesting in iOS 10 is, is that you have the ability now to remove default apps as well so you can you can can turn off things like reminders and mail and apple music or the music app and so on um uh, so that's another thing you can now do that you couldn't do before Um, and there are also controls for things like you you can't set up new accounts you can't delete applications things like that so um say you were wanting to give an ios device to a younger child you can actually defend it pretty well now (laughs) i
1: love i love that choice of word defend it from your child
0: (laughs) Well, <laughs> I mean, that's that's the phrase that I use a lot when I'm, I'm teaching people about deployment is that there's there's a set of settings that you want to use to defend the configuration of the device. And then there's a set of settings that you want to use to give the best user experience. And the two are kind of separate because on the one hand, you don't want people to be able to change things or sign into other Apple IDs or, you know, basically mess with the system in some way but then you want to also have a sort of positive view of that kind of configuration as well and say, well, let's set this up in the most convenient way possible for these people as well. So if you have younger users in schools, for example, you might want to use the new home screen layout that you can set, which actually just says, here are where all the apps go and they can never be moved. Right. So if you're a teacher oh. of five year olds, uh, you know, Apple is get messed up pretty badly, pretty quickly. So I am under strict instructions next year for our, in our younger classes now that we can do this. that Yet yeah, you will set this up properly for our kids and it will not change. So uh, that's that's uh, so Apple has really pushed a lot of these features. Um, so iOS 9.3, uh, as you know, kind of came out earlier in the year and contained a lot of features for education. Some of these were included, such as setting the home screen layout and so on. So you can actually specify every page of of the device. You can specify folders and what apps are in what folders. And you can specify what's in the dock and so on and so on. Um, And that's really, uh, Apple's really stepped up over the past six months. So I think we're in really good shape now. Um, But at the moment, a lot of those features kind of require that you have a systems administrator in place and a device management server in place and all those kind of things rather than just, oh, I can just flip this on for the kids. There's a a subset that you can, but some of the more powerful configurations require a bit more understanding than most casual users would have.
1: So casual users could use a few more, just a couple more of the enterprise features getting liberated from the enterprise?
0: Yeah, and in some ways you could say things like, you know, here I've set this up, now lock it, right? You know, so you, you put the apps where you want and just say, now don't let it change, you know, something like that. Whereas at the moment, because it's quite an, a new feature, you've got to sort of specify it as a kind of declarative list of where I want all these things to be rather than just in a consumer way, just set it up how you want it and then lock it and that would be it, you know. So those are some of the kind of things that could happen in the future, but, you know, compared to any other time in iOS history, we're in pretty great shape with some of this stuff.
1: Well, that's that's really nice to see. It's it's great to see that Apple has has seen this this need and, and catered to it. That's great. I mean, I know it's it's been a it's been a decade of iOS almost, but uh, yeah, it's they're an iterative company. You know, they they move they what is the phrase? They measure tw- measure twice and cut once. You know, so yeah. yeah, it's great to see that we're in a place like this.
0: Yeah, and, and you can see as as more and more of these devices roll out into the real world, you're starting to see more of these kind of things happening as well. Because it's now possible to set up fifty iPod touches for a museum hmm. audio tour or something like that as well. Yeah. Um we could talk all night about the different ways you could do this, but this has been a fascinating uh, little walk through some of the some of the weird ways you can put iOS into use for different things as well. So, yeah,
1: if if Federico got this far, I I, I must apologize to you, and I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> for taking your, your topic.
0: Well, I'm, I'm sure he'll have something else. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> uh, probably got a pasta timer app or something that he will yeah, drop on us next week as well. Um, so, David, tell people where they can find you online if they want to catch up more of your, what you're working on. So uh,
1: my personal website is chartier.land, And that's where you can kind of find a lot of the stuff that I'm working on. So I don't have to give you five different websites.
0: (laughs) Excellent. So that's one, your one-stop shop for everything, David. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, There. Um, Our show notes for this show are going to be at relay.fm slash canvas slash 13. And Federico will be back in two weeks time. And we'll be talking about another topic that helps you get the most out of iOS. Thanks for listening, everybody.